0: Sometimes the natural world is gross, sexy, horrifying, violent, and all those other words you look for in late night TV. This show is intended for mature audiences. Hey, I'm Alec. I'm a paleontologist.
1: I'm Emily, a
2: zoo educator. And I'm Lay. I'm also a zoo educator.
0: And welcome to Zoo After Dark. Woo! So what are we talking about today? Dinosaurs.
1: This is all you, Alec. Yeah, I'm excited. I've been waiting for this day for so long, even though I realized I've known you for a while and probably could have just asked you questions. But, you know, might as well have an authentic discussion for the viewers.
2: You know, I loved dinosaurs when I was a tiny kid. I had a lot of little dinosaur figures. But then the era of that dinosaur wasn't actually real. And you're stupid for using that name. And I kind of fell out of it in shame So I've been too afraid to ask about dinosaurs often. So I'm looking forward to this discussion.
0: One of the best slash worst things with paleontology or paleobiology, as a lot of people are leaning towards calling it now, is it is so fascinating and interesting. It is like real world monsters that we get to imagine about because you have pieces of them and have to figure it out from there. But people get really stupidly gatekeeping about it. And it's absolutely awful because we all share this planet and all share this planet's natural history and should be able to enjoy it. Also, the changing of the names changes all over the place when we get more information about hey, turns out that these were from the same species or maybe this is a different thing or hey, turns out that this piece actually goes to something else and so we have to update. That's how science goes. We get more information and we update what we think we know about the world. Um, Also, what we know is a dinosaur has changed and that's kind of going to be my overview of this episode. There's a lot of dinosaurs out there, so be Very hard to go over all of them, but I figured it'd be useful to go over what is and isn't a dinosaur. And that has recently changed. Uh, When I was growing up, the easy way to remember it was like, oh, it's that prehistoric thing that it's not related to mammals and it doesn't fly and it doesn't swim. Well, the Doesn't Fly and Doesn't Swim has been updating a lot. We know now that some dinosaurs might have been able to fly, like Archaeopteryx. We very recently have learned that some dinosaurs might have been very aquatic, like Spinosaurus. (laughs) For once in its life, Jurassic Park actually might have been more accurate than the science was at the time when it was released for Jurassic Park 3. Nice. So, and that's stuff that we're still debating about. How aquatic do we think that is? Do we think that Archaeopteryx had powered or gliding flight? All of these things. So, a long way of saying what we learn about dinosaurs constantly changes. So, a lot of the times people think of instead this group called archosaurs, which are my favorite animals in the entire world. They are the groups of crocodilians, birds dinosaurs, and pterosaurs, kind of all grouped up together. What makes dinosaurs different from those other three is their hips are like a donut. There's also a lot of other things that are very specific and technical, but the easiest way, if you're at a museum, you're looking at something and you're like, I don't want to look down and read the text and tell me if it's a dinosaur or not. (laughs) I want to stare at this and know just by looking at it. If you look at a dinosaur's hip socket... It's going to have a hole in it. It kind of looks like a weirdly shaped donut. So that's going to be your easiest way to differentiate from them. Pterosaurs are those ones that people commonly call the flying dinosaurs. You can think of them as a flying cousin to dinosaurs. That's basically what they are. We've also got the crocodilians like caimans and crocodiles, gharials and alligators that a lot of people call living dinosaurs. You can think of them as a living dinosaur cousin. They aren't dinosaurs, but they're a very close cousin. And then we have birds. And a lot of people ask, is a bird a dinosaur? Is a dinosaur a bird? It's like asking, is a shirt clothing? Yes, a shirt is a piece of clothing, but not all clothing are shirts. You have hats, you have shoes, you have pants, etc. Birds are a smaller group in dinosaurs. So we have modern birds. All of them are technically dinosaurs, but not all dinosaurs are technically birds. Another really cool thing is some dinosaurs you might think of as very prehistoric actually are more closely related to those modern birds. So some dinosaurs like T-Rex we think of as very prehistoric when in fact a T-Rex is more closely related to a chicken than it is to a stegosaurus.
2: That's wild.
0: What? It's a very large group of animals we're talking about. Some other dinosaur subgroups that we might talk about are theropods. The majority of those are kind of the two-legged carnivores that you think of, like Velociraptor and T-Rex, and all of those Jurassic Park baddies. Right? There are exceptions to that group, like Therizinosaurus, which is like a herbivore Freddy Krueger. Look it up; it's great. <laughs> uh, but we've also got other groups: sauropods. Those are the long-necked dinosaurs. And then you also got like saurichian versus Ornithischian, another way to separate out different groups of dinosaurs, but they're all dinosaurs. Uh, technically, birds fall into the theropods, which is why a T-Rex has more in common with that chicken than it does with maybe one of the long neck dinosaurs, the sauropods.
1: Oh, interesting. I have enjoyed that comic going around of a T-Rex that's fully done up as though it had the structures of a chicken and then it's like wow maybe they were just giant chickens but I don't know how accurate that is because obviously it's kind of common knowledge now that dinosaurs had feathers in some way that's the more accurate representation of them but I'm really curious to know if we know how many feathers they're supposed to have like are they supposed to be like a fluffy chicken or is it just detail
0: patterns So that is one of my favorite things is that has to do a little bit with my current research interests. Feathers in general, we've had some preservation of some feathers, but it's one of those things where if you have absolute evidence that it's there, you know it's there. If you don't have, say, a soft tissue preservation from that dinosaur, you have to make guesses from this thing called phylogenetic bracketing. It's essentially taking your two closest groups of cousins that are on either side, one that branched off before you, one that's branched off after you, and using that as a guide to figure out what's going on in the middle. So if we look at dinosaurs overall, we tend to use crocodilians and modern birds as those brackets. For dinosaurs, we've seen that some of them have it, some of them don't. And it's not feathers like we think of it as today. A lot of them are proto-feathers. So if you've seen down on a bird, see how it's it's... Not like a normally think of as that feather shape. It's a bit more...
1: It's shorter and fluffier. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. It's more like filament-y. Yeah. So it's their structure a little bit more like that. Not like these full oh
1: my gosh. Uh, flight
0: feathers. But some of them we think might have closer to that Archaeopteryx side of things. It kind of varies. Some of the earlier ones that aren't even closely related, like satakasaurus Big long word. Think of a Triceratops make it like dog sized, take away the horns and give it these long quill like feathers on its tail. Wow. And we know it had on its tail. We don't think it had it anywhere else on it. So it's one of those things that kind of yes and no. Some of them had it. Some of them didn't. What I find really interesting is there's new research that seems to be pointing towards the old idea that, oh, feathers were evolved as a thermoregulation function that kept the dinosaurs warm. Instead, they might have started off as a somatosensory, their touch sensing, uh, to help them when navigating different environments. Because if you only have one of those, you still have a function. Whereas if you're getting warmth from it, you need a lot of them to keep that warmth close to your body.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. I really like the image now of a down feather covered dinosaur, like the ultimate <laughs> Extra <floof>. soft. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the spiciest floof. But
1: also, yeah, probably hard to clean off all the blood.
0: This is true.
1: For that imagery. You're welcome.
0: I mean, that is a lot of the reason why we think vultures have bald heads is they're sticking their head directly into the carcasses. Although I am also getting memories of bits of mouse parts all over the spree childs that we used to work with uh, at a zoo that all three of us used to work together at.
1: Yeah. So one of the most interesting questions that I have thought about moving into more of the adult serious content that we are known for <laughs> is there are a lot of lizard species that can do parthenogenesis. Uh, Lay and I actually have some morning geckos that are one of the well-known parthenogenic species. What that means is basically it's two female geckos are present, and the presence of both of them kind of pushes them both to ovulate and have eggs and they're able to make clones of themselves so no males necessary to have babies and so i'm wondering how possible that is for large dinosaurs because in my mind they're so big how does the sex even happen because they're so large and the babies. <laughs> have to be ginormous and gestation like an elephant gestation is two years or something like that. Like a dinosaur must've been pregnant. Yeah. For like five years, maybe. I don't know. Tell me about the reproduction and did we have to have boy dinosaurs?
2: Well, we've also seen parthenogenesis in other animals, not just lizards. That's Um, true. The Californian condor, I believe, recently showed parthenogenesis. Yeah. And if condors are birds and birds are dinosaurs, were there parthenogenic dinosaurs? All the more evidence
0: you're already thinking with that bracket thought of how do we find examples, yes or no, in the closest living cousins. As far as proving whether any of the fossils we find, whether it's eggs or adults, were a result of Parthenogenesis, it's probably too difficult to tell with current science and technology. In modern animals, like with the condors, how they're able to figure that out is by genetic analysis from the living ones. And sorry, Jurassic Park fans, but there's not enough genetic material material left from dinosaurs that are preserved to be able to run really good genetic analyses like that so we don't know for sure but we don't know at least from bracketing i haven't heard of any crocodilian examples of parthenogenesis but we know that there are at least avian ones so with that we can say it could be possible and if so it's more likely on the birdie side so maybe in those theropods might be more likely than some of the earlier groups
2: Can you imagine T-Rex is just
1: cloning themselves? Yeah, man. I mean, that's crazy. Because I guess leading into that, I have always thought, you know, dinosaurs are reptiles or reptilian in nature, so they lay eggs. But is that true? Were there some that gave live birth or the famous ovoviviparous where they say, screw it, I'm going to do both? Or were they all just giant, like car-sized eggs? And by both,
2: they have the eggs internally. They hatch internally, and it just looks like they give live birth. Indeed, indeed. They like, can't alternate between the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's another thing that comes down to fossil evidence. When you find an egg, you know for sure this thing laid an egg. <laughs> yeah. But if you found, say, a younger skeleton inside the same deposit with an adult that looked like it could be live birth, you also have to think about things like Well, is this just how they positioned when they died that it happened to be a young one that was maybe a nest that this one was taking care of and we didn't find evidence of the nest and happened to die in this spot. So when all the soft bits went away with the bones, it looked like it was giving live birth, but it wasn't. It's harder to tell when you don't have more easily preserved pieces. Harder bits like eggshell or bone are more likely to preserve than things like skin, which we have very few dinosaur mummies, uh, which people did not mummify them. It's a fun colloquial term for the skin and soft tissue preservation happening very rarely, but does occasionally happen. But we do know that they definitely at least laid eggs. Uh, We found eggs of different sizes and shapes from different dinosaurs some had more rounded like softball others had a bit more long more like an oval shape we're also starting to figure out things about nesting patterns there was a recent nesting site uh, down in south america that seems to indicate that there might have at least laid nests together and that taking care of them as a herd could also just be a really popular nesting site. It's things that we have to take what evidence we have and then try to figure out what we can extrapolate from there. There's also some famous examples like Oviraptor, where when it was first found, people assumed, like, oh, it's stealing the eggs. And then we got better technology and we were able to figure out actually, those are Oviraptor eggs. This dinosaur probably died trying to protect her nest. And then we looped back around to, that doesn't mean that they didn't eat eggs, though. (laughs) They could have still eaten eggs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I hadn't heard about this scientific journey. Oh, yeah. Isn't that the (laughs) one that, like, is fossilized? It kind of has the wing-like shape, and then it's over a whole bunch of eggs. Yes, Yeah.
0: It's, like, its name, Oviraptor, literally means egg thief. So we probably named this dinosaur who died trying to protect her nest as a thief. (laughs)
2: oh <laughs> that's so tragic yeah i mean she
0: might have but that's another thing i mean we end up looping it back around to like well, just because she was protecting her nest doesn't mean that eggs are not part of her diet, though. Like, yeah, sure, this yeah. dinosaur could have eaten other Oviraptor's eggs, for all we know.
1: And even, like, bird species we've talked about, too, where they will steal the eggs yes. of other birds, like the penguins, or they just dump eggs with other pe- other animals. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely possible.
2: Yeah, and going back to what Alex said, egg-eating snakes eat only eggs, but they still lay eggs. Yeah.
0: they just
1: eat a different egg. Exactly. Now you have a note here about, I know you mentioned mummification. Tell me about this mummified cloaca.
0: Oh my goodness. So the that I mentioned before, it's think of like a no horns dog-sized triceratops with a big fancy frilly tail. So this, as soon as it got out into the news, like everyone I knew sent me the link to this. because <laughs> <this> is <laughs> one of my favorite dinosaurs. This is a dinosaur that was recently found with that soft tissue preservation. And one of the big things that everyone was really excited about is that the cloaca was preserved very well, even color from it. If you don't know what a cloaca is, think of it as one hole for all of your downstairs business. <laughs> they don't have a separate hole for pee and poop or laying eggs. It is all one hole.
1: Yeah, same thing as modern day birds, reptiles, sharks. Lots of animals just have a cloaca. Ten tenrecs. tenrecs. apparently. I don't know <laughs> where they went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to do their own thing. That's a whole nother episode. Yeah, because they don't even lay eggs.
0: So a lot of other things are also very well preserved, but people got really excited about this cloaca. A lot of it because of the scientific illustrations of it. If you Google it, you are bound to find it. It is one satakasaurus staring directly at the cloaca of the other one who's looking around like, ooh, me? Like, it is... (laughs) I... I've seen this. I have so much respect for scientific artists, especially paleo artists, they have to be both an artist and a scientist. There's this terrible meme going around like, oh, this is what aliens would draw modern animals, or this is what a paleo artist would draw a modern animal if they only had the bones. At one point in time, that was accurate. But the majority of paleo artists nowadays take so much time and effort studying how modern animals look inside out, that they know how to lay on that additional fat, that additional muscle from what we can figure out from the bones. So back to this cloaca again. Probably the reason that became the image (laughs) is because (laughs) there was this idea that the color of this cloaca had a function. And some people are saying that it could have been sexual display. Oh, here, look at my pretty butthole. There are other ideas that, hey, maybe it helped to keep bacteria out. Sometimes, though, in my opinion, we try to find function in things where it's a byproduct of something else. It could have just been that, hey, the kind of tissue that animal is able to create to make that cloaca out of happens to be that color. It could be all three of these. It could be, hey, it has this great antibacterial function. Other satakasaurus say, hey, baby, when they see that. It could be that that's also happens to be the easiest, most readily material that the animal can make that cloaca out of when they're developing.
1: So I just looked up this
0: because I'm so sorry
1: no that's okay <laughs> and I love it and I encourage all of our listeners to as well uh, by the way, Satakasaurus is spelled with a P, just so you know. I do enjoy the image because it looks like the one is like, oh my God, do I have one of those? <laughs> but then in just doing this quick research, I've come across this article about how did dinosaurs have sex? And one of them is talking about this cloaca. And a group of ornithologists have suggested that perhaps penises were not actually required and instead, something called a cloacal kiss was performed.
2: Well, that's common in birds. Is it really? Modern day, day birds, yeah. No, it isn't. It, it is. is. What?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my god. For all of our listeners, a cloacal kiss is essentially the two animals align the cloacas and exchange the genetic material that way.
2: It's very quick contact. It doesn't last very long.
0: Yeah, it's, it's super fast. Have you ever seen modern birds do this? Like, it is very fast.
1: So they don't have a penis then?
2: Um, I just did a bird course on San Diego Global, and it said that some specifically ground-dwelling birds can have a small phallus, but for many birds, they just rely on that cloacal kiss.
1: Wow. So
2: ducks definitely
0: have a phallus.
1: Sure. As we know. The ducks do, yeah. It's very unfortunate. It is very. Oh, Wow. Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's that's soft material, (laughs) so that isn't going to be really preserved.
1: Maybe though, that's how like a Brachiosaurus did that—they just cloacal kissed instead of having a thousand-foot-long penis because where would you put
2: that okay i'm just envisioning the future headline when a dinosaur phallus is found preserved oh my gosh the world's gonna explode and then all the headlines are like dinosaur dongs discovered
1: i like that alliteration
0: (laughs) it's so good (laughs) thank you There are some animals that have a baculum, which is essentially a penis bone. Dinosaurs aren't in that group, so it would have to be something like that soft tissue. There are ways that they could with that large size because everything is larger. It could also be absolutely terrifying to watch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh my god.
0: If you think about all the different kinds of mating strategies in the animal world, I mean, hopefully not as violent as like the otter strategy from our previous episode, but there's a lot out there. Um, It could be really interesting displays, though, because if you think about the modern relatives, you've got birds who are like are known for their mating displays. And crocodilians, which have some really cool ones I personally love American alligators And they get really fancy The males will do a thing called a water dance Where they give out this huge Bellow, and those vibrations Send out vibrations through the water But they also have a pool of water on their back That kind of makes a fountain From the vibrations going through Whoa! It's so cool and It's literally called a water dance And it's considered a true indicator Meaning it's something that can show Off the animal's health and genetic abilities to pass on to young that they can't fake. Like, you can't fake a larger size to make that lower rumble to make a larger fountain or have a larger body size to put more water on your back to make that larger fountain. So they've got the vibration signal going to the females of from the sound. They've also got the visual display going on. And then what's really cute is sometimes after this, the female will come up and be like, alright, maybe. I'll check you out. And they'll do not a cloacal kiss, but it's sometimes been called like a kiss, where they will rub these special pits sensors in their snouts up against each other. And we don't really know why yet. It's just a thing that we've recently figured out they do. Those sensors are really important. Those are part of how they can sense the vibrations going through the water, how within completely murky water, they can essentially feel something drop into the water. The females, we think, use them to test temperature when they're making nests to make sure they don't make it in a place that's too hot or too cold for the eggs to develop. But yeah, so they kind of have their own less graphic kiss. Oh,
1: that's <laughs> adorable. I am like that image. I'm so glad we have that to walk away with.
0: I can't believe I brought the wholesome content to an episode for once. I know,
1: yeah. (laughs) Wow, normally you're the one that lights that fuse. So...
0: But yeah, no, it would not surprise me if someday we found, especially, I'm thinking like the theropods, like an allosaurus or a T-Rex or Carnotaurus or something, with bite marks from another from mating. It would not surprise me.
1: And I guess too, it might be something more like a hemipene structure, maybe like a reptile. But I don't know. Birds have a single one, like a duck only has one. So I don't know. I guess how... Birds are still reptiles. They are still reptiles, yeah. But like when you think about a lizard, okay, are dinosaurs more closely related? To birds or to
0: lizards? Definitely birds. Lizards are all off on their other thing. Closest living relative are birds, crocodilians, not lizards.
1: All right.
0: I sadly, as you were mentioning, the possibility of hemipenes googled to double check alligators. They essentially have almost like a rubber band-like structure, so they're always ready to go. Mm. It's terrible. That is horrifying.
1: (laughs) Now something else too, I guess I like to draw on the marine side of things. For some species that give live birth, there's the cannibalism that happens. Do we think that maybe that happened? I guess we don't necessarily know, but we can maybe guess. Like cannibalism in the womb? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so womb cannibalism. This was an interesting one that I had to look up things about. As far as we know, we don't have any evidence for live birth dinosaurs. That isn't really an option. But cannibalism after they're born? Absolutely. Uh, there is a lot of research going on right now with T-Rex about maybe the young tried to outcompete each other like owls do. There seems to be some fossil evidence, at least for cannibalism in the adults. So if it's in the adults, it could easily be in the young ones. Coelophysis, Majungatholus, and T. rex are the three that seems to be fossil evidence for cannibalism. It's kind of lining up gut material as well as bite marks and things like that to try to Mm -hmm. find like who ate what. So even then, it could be something that was just scavenged. Yeah,
1: not necessarily on purpose. Because I feel like, you know, thinking about the animal kingdom in general, I feel like there is cannibalism present in all the major animal groups. It just depends on if it's purposeful or scavenged, like you're saying. Even butterflies prey. Exactly. As we've discussed <laughs> on their brethren. <laughs> Side note, we have like 30 <laughs> monarch butterflies in our backyard. But the caterpillars. What? We do not. They ate
2: all the available food and have died. They're gone. I don't know if they were able to find other sources of food, but they didn't let the milkweed grow back enough to
1: sustain themselves. Well, I did find a couple in the porch and a couple in the front yard. So maybe they just left.
2: (laughs) Maybe. I hope they did well on their journeys.
1: But side note, listeners, make sure if you're able to, you plant some milkweed or get some milkweed, help those butterflies and such.
0: Planting milkweed is definitely a great way to help the butterflies in your yard. You want to know a way to help out living dinosaurs? Yes. There was one recently born in San Diego. Oh. The San Diego Zoo has a great conservation program for the California condor. If you ever think of a living dinosaur, man, that is a living dinosaur. They are huge. Uh, They are very endangered and need our help. And the San Diego Zoo has a really great breeding program for conservation with them, as well as outreach education for more people to protect them. And they recently had one hatched in the past week or two, I think. Uh, Very adorable. If you look up San Diego Zoo condor cam, I was looking at it before this. He looks like a dust bunny with a vulture head on top. It's adorable. But I would highly recommend checking that out, as well as if you're in the San Diego area, you can volunteer with the zoo, not necessarily this program, but the zoo overall, which then helps support their programs, such as helping out these living baby dinosaurs. You can also uh, donate money or even vehicles, which I found really interesting. Do you have a car that you're getting rid of? You can actually donate that to the San Diego Zoo. They will sell it to raise money for their programs, such as their condor program. So there's a lot of things you can do. Just as simple as even visiting their zoo probably helps them out as well. But if you're farther away like me, spreading the word about them helps to gather more support for programs like this. And watching that camera is absolutely adorable. Highly recommend 100 out of 10.
2: I definitely have to look it up now.
0: Yeah,
1: me too. I need some dust bunny in my life. Dust bunny dinos.
0: Yes! Oh.
2: Yes. Well, on that note, thanks for joining us for Zoo After Dark. Please help us out by leaving a five star rating and review wherever you listen or by telling your friends about the show.
1: And if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode or if you would like to ask us any animal questions, reach out to us at Zoo After Dark on Twitter
0: so next month we're going to talk about another animal that's have relatives way back in our prehistoric past and some of them even live a really long time the turtles
1: Yay! i forgot to ask are turtles dinosaurs no
0: no but they're also oh they're one where they don't have enough holes in their skull for us to really accurately tell where they should be
2: okay we'll save it for next episode we'll dive in a little bit more and talk about what makes a turtle a turtle